Happy Jack's RPG Podcast, a roundtable discussion that's a mix of friendship, humor, unbridled enthusiasm, and tabletop RPG topics sent in from around the world. Just for another Hello and welcome to Season 31, Episode 11 of the Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Kimmy. I'm Joey. I'm Jameson. I'm Nick. And in today's episode, Eric from New Jersey is looking for advice on running con games after not doing it for a very long time. Mike reacts to our discussion on problematic powers in role-playing games. And Erica Odd talks about the new Avatar RPG. That's like the Nickelodeon Avatar. What a, there isn't another Avatar. What are you talking about? Exactly. So the M. is the only one, right? <laughs> oh. oh, oh, get out. <laughs> Go. I'm I'm take your ong with you. <laughs> All right. If you'd like to contribute a question or story to the show, you may email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. Announcements. So, social media is a nightmare. As we've learned, crazy, weird, wild billionaires can buy that and just like do whatever they want with it. So it has pointed out a, a massive flaw in the Happy Jacks RPG system is that we use social media for most of our communications. Back in the day, many years ago, we had the big forum where we'd post announcements and everyone would see that, but we don't have that anymore. So we are trying to rectify the situation by creating a mailing list. So if you go to happyjacks.org slash newsletter, I think, I'm gonna check that. <laughs> you can sign up for our, our, for our mailing list so you can get important announcements. Now, I will not have time to write things all the time and bother you. So don't worry about getting spam. I am setting the goal of a quarterly thing. I will probably fail at that goal. So you will hear from us four times a year or less. Or if there's something really, really important that we need to get information out about, then we'll send it out there. But it's mostly a subscription. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For example. Yeah. But so it's mostly just so we're not reliant on social media if we do need to get really important information out there. So please sign up if you are interested and I will not be a thing to bother you. I don't have time to bother you more than I already do by making the podcast every week. So please go to happyjacks.org slash newsletter and give us an email address so we can get in contact with you about important things. Have all of you done it? Yeah, totes. Yeah. What's an email? Yeah. Okay. All right. This is what I'm working with. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. And for January, our Indie Designer of the Month is Gem Room Games, the creative team-up of Dan Phipps and Callie. Collie is what it is. I say it wrong, and it's like I have a thing there to say. Sorry. Sorry, Collie. Laurie. Their work can be found at shop.gemroomgames.com for physical or gemroomgames.itch.io for digital copies. Our game this week that we're featuring of theirs is Duck Borg. Life is like a hurricane here in Duckborg. Completely not that, but kind of that, except badass with weapons and murder and stuff. And it is a module intended to be used with Morkborg, mm. uh, which is very badass. Nanu, nanu. Yes, exactly. It is amazing. It is so cool. I love this. This is actually the the module I like saw this. I'm like, oh, this is so cool. Oh, what is Morkborg? 
So it like sent me down that path. I went backwards. I like Ooh. backwards engineered from Duckborg, which is fun and awesome. And there's like three different sections that got released in uh, for this module. And they did it like as a stagger release, but they're all available now. So you can find them there. And it's a collaboration with Nerdy Paper Games, which is also a dear friend of the show. We'll probably have them as a feature at some point in the future months. And so the once gleaming jewel of Calistoa, a foul wind, and it's so good, foul wind duck, sorry, <laughs> blows down the streets of Duckborg, abandoned by all, but those foolish enough to travel there and those cruel enough to survive. Anyway, the treasures of a long-dead merchant emperor's call to you. And so you and your clan have flocked as birds of a feather to almost certain ruin. I just love it. It's like the post-apocalyptic, like, Scrooge McDuck fortune. That's the other Yeah. It really puts the bill. Yeah. Double. Yeah. So good. Yeah, I mean, do what you want if it flies. So that wasn't as good. Sorry, I tried. I don't do puns very well. It was good. It was good. Okay, okay. I'm proud of myself. Go me. Anyway. So that's our thing. So please go to gemroomgames.com and find out more about these amazing, amazing designers who will actually be on the show in the next couple of weeks. So Ooh, fun. Yeah, they were able to make the schedule. Fortunately, our other designers from December and January or November and December weren't able to make it because one of them's in Japan. So the time zones were a little bit too challenging. And then over the holidays, Nura was like, I just there's no Friday. I can't do the thing. But we'll probably have her on the show eventually. All right. So that's pretty cool. All right. Amy, I just want to let you know, your joke was great. It doesn't compare to my great funds. No. But. I mean, I would never. Yeah. 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 So. A little late to the party, but I had to get something. You you did. Got to be on the books. Yeah. Just waddle that joke right in there. Yeah. You're also foul. Okay. Love you. I'm rubber. You're ducky. (laughs) Okay. All our jokes are really bad. Nailed it. Mm, (laughs) Yep. Landed that plane. Yep. It's definitely not. Yeah, we're, this is the high quality content you were all here for. All right, let's just move on to email hey, number one. It's worth what you paid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Your email. Email. Yeah, that's the email. I'd like to read the first email because I've been talking a whole lot. I'll take it. Hello to Kimmy and the Happy Jacks crew. It is I, Eric from New Jersey, writing about something other than LARP. <sighs> what? This April, I will be making my return to a gaming convention after about an 18 year absence. The main reason I want to go is to expose my 17-year-old and 12-year-old sons to the convention scene and share my love of the hobby. My oldest is a senior, and once he won't be doing anything in the spring, and for once he won't be doing anything in the spring, which could interfere with him going. My children don't game that much because of other activities they are involved in, but they expressed interest in going to MEPACON? MEPACON? I mean MEPA. MEPACON, the convention in question. Now... It's been 18 years or so, might be 20 at this point, I'm not sure. I prefer GM, so I'm running a plethora of games that are not D&D or Pathfinder. The issue is, it has been a while, and I would like some pointers on some pointers for someone who is a bit rusty at con GMing. Excuse me. Now, there are things I already know, so I'm looking for advice on things I have forgotten. In the four games I am running, three of them are systems I regularly run, so I know the rules pretty well. The fourth system is in a game I regularly play by post with the most wonderful Uncommon Man from Sweden, so I will be focusing on making sure that the rules there I know well. I have a working knowledge of the system, plus Forbidden Lands for, by Free League that I'm using as scenario they made perfectly for conventions. Making things modular, 
This way I can insert things if they're going too fast or remove stuff if a time crunch happens. And those other two points were one and two. This is three, spotlight. Make sure everyone gets to have the spotlight at some point. For the non-free league games, that, mean, that means making sure the players, or rather the characters, have skills that will be used within the game so everyone gets the spotlight at some point. Number four, making the pre-gens awesome. Don't have Samuel the Paladin when you can have Samuel the Paladin, host of the heavens and slayer of demons. Oh, yeah. Unless the players are creating characters from scratch, like in Mass, there should be fluff that makes the player feel like they're playing an awesome character. Okay, so please give me advice that I'm overlooking. It's been a long time, and I can use all the advice I can get. As usual, stay happy, stay diverse, stay a little tipsy too. Cheers, Eric from New Jersey. P.S. Kimmy, I need to say because of you, Jib, Gina, Kadave, and Jason, I'm running Mass at the Con, hoping to inspire people to give it a look, as much like your group inspired me to pick it up and run with it. Thank you. Part B. Yeah, so... uh, Something. Yeah, Eric sent in two separate emails, like, in a very short period of time about Mm. similar topics, so I just... I made the executive decision to combine them into one email. Gotcha. Oh, there you go. Hey, Kimmy and the crew, just a quick question. I don't want to overload people, but it's been over 20 years since I ran games at a con. What makes a good con blurb? Honestly, while I'm interested in getting people to sign up, I really want to make sure that I communicate what the games are about. Thanks, Eric from New Jersey. By the way, Eric, we appreciate you spelling out where you're from so we don't have any difficulty with deciding what you. NJ stands for. I dislike for. you intently. <laughs> I'm not, I don't, I've almost never sent any mail in my life until I did a Kickstarter. That's so. okay. I can point them out on it's the a, map. It's adorable. It's an adorable boy. Adorable <laughs> Sure. Thank you. Okay. All right. I think I'm going to start with the end first. The writing a blurb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Solid. Yeah. Because I think that's, that's such a challenge for everything. And especially like, as someone who has to do it a lot, hate it every single time Mm -hmm. whether it's about like write a blurb about yourself write a blurb about Uh, your podcast write a blurb about this episode it's like hate everything about the blurb but blurb and it's important (laughs) you must blurb blurb okay so i would say in the blurb make sure you have the system is usually listed separately so i'm going to assume that the basic thing like number of people and most of the time in a con game like all that is listed above the blurb like system gm like room and number of players above the sign-up thing. So don't waste your characters because there's a very specific character limit. Don't waste any of your characters on that specifically. There should also hopefully make sure that, if, that there's a an age range or a rating for the oh, game mm-hmm. listed above it. Usually most cons do that. They ask you for that when you're submitting a game. If they don't, put that in your blurb. So unless you're running, you know, if you're running an all-ages game, like put that in there. If you're not, Put that in I'll there. Definitely put that in there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I think that's something that's really, really important. Yeah, I would agree. agree. Same, kind of in a similar vein, anything that you can do to convey the tone of the game, that way people are going in knowing what they're going to be playing. Like, they know it's a beer and pretzel type game, that's going to be a completely different mindset going in than a very serious, grim, dark game. So just maybe try to flavor the blurb in the vibe of the game you're trying to run. Yeah, it absolutely makes a difference. I know when I'm looking at blurbs that the way it's written and what seems important are what I'm paying attention to see if it's going to be a game that I'm going to want to play. Mm-hmm. Honestly, with a convention game, I'm trying something new, so I want something that sounds interesting. So give me that sizzle. Like, try and hook me with it. 
yes, you can convey what the vibe is through that sizzle. And that's where your money's going to be. And write a game that you would want to play. Like, right. you know what excites you when you see a blurb. So mm-hmm. absolutely, write it in a way that would make you want to play this game. Yeah. Because there's a good chance other people are going to feel the same way. Yeah. And something that's really great to look at is, like, trailers for movies. Like, obviously, that's not written, but, like, seeing, okay, what do they include? Oh, okay, it's a big action scene, but you don't see how it ends. And then, oh, some romancy stuff. Like, you know, figure out, like, follow that type of pacing, because usually it's, like, about 30 seconds of content and figuring out like, oh, okay, that's how they laid that out. So find a movie that is similar to what the game you want to run. Watch the trailer for it. Most trailers are on YouTube, even if it's from like decades ago. And you can watch that and be like, okay, hey, and use that kind of as a a inspiration for your blurb. Yeah. I wouldn't worry so much about like a vertical slice, but yeah, getting that, the vibe of what you're going for. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like not exactly, but like, it's always nice to have like, I feel like I'm teaching like fourth grade paragraph writing now, <laughs> but like like something to catch their eye at the top. Mm-hmm. Like if it's like a fantasy adventure in a medieval land, like blah, blah, blah. it's like, yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, cool. It's like burning castles, blood spattered ground, a kingdom in despair. And it's like something like that where I'm it's, in. yeah, right. It's like, oh, and it can be exactly the same game, but the fact that you like front loaded with some imagery, like, to me, that's like, oh, hey, this this GM at least knows how to say that. Like, I don't know if they can, mm-hmm. like, maybe they're very monotone when they say it in-game, but who knows? At least they have the idea of creating that visual. So that's like, oh, okay, I feel I feel like this is a good sign that this GM is, is good at this. Yeah. Another good reference point, maybe not all of them, but look at the opening crawls of a lot of the Star Wars movies. Ah, a yeah. lot of those kind of have that same vibe of maybe not so much episode one, but... The original trilogy definitely has those buzzwords and those eye-catching imagery at the top. Mm-hmm. Right. to get more into the specifics, which you don't really need if you're doing a con game. But you somehow have... Palpatine returned. Oh, riveting. Well, yeah. <laughs> Listen, if you played Fortnite, you'd know. Yeah. <laughs> Politics. A lot of people talking about a lot of things. Much exposition and unlived-in green screen scenes. I actually, okay, I'll admit, I kind of like the political stuff because it was so... It fleshes out the world a lot. Like, mm-hmm. okay, we got laser wizards and we've got dark laser wizards. Yeah, dark laser wizards. <laughs> but to like understand how this giant galactic federation yeah. fits together. Oh, I loved it too. I loved the idea of it. I just wish it was executed better. Yeah. Oh, sure. I don't want it to be a Star Wars. Give me a Star Wars adjacent property. Cool. Yeah. I'm happy for that. Yeah. Well, and Star Senate. Yeah. yeah. Don't to. tempt me, Frodo. <laughs> well, no spoilers, but like Andor does that really well. There's yes. some scenes where mm-hmm. it is the Senate mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, oh, okay. And you you actually get more of an idea of what it's really like, like from those few scenes than like the vibe and like all the other previous movies. Very yeah. House of Cards, but for the Senate. That's exactly oh. what yeah. I want. That's yeah. all exactly. I want. So, Eric, your blurb is just like Andor. That's yes. that's our Do that's our opinion. Everything like Andor, <laughs> yes, except whatever. Except maybe the first three episodes of Andor. Make that one episode, and you're golden. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's lots of great places you can go for inspiration, and do not be afraid to uh, borrow liberally from inspiration or whatever. And if you're going on the same game a lot, save your blurb somewhere. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's nothing yeah. more annoying than like getting to the next con a few months later and being like, oh, I'm running the same game. Did I write last time? Oh, yeah. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. What did I do? For theater shows, I just have to submit a bio for the program. And 
I don't make a new one. I just add the last show I was in, update, save, and send the same one. That's gonna, <laughs> no one reads them. It's fine. But yeah. who will read your blurb? It's not to say that people won't. <laughs> yeah, they're picking the game. They're going to yeah. read the blurb at the very least. Yeah. Now let's rewind to the other. Uh, flip it and reverse it too. Yeah, the other, the other things. So yeah, the game, four games. You're, you're running four games. That's awesome. First of all, yes, well done. Work. That cons love be. that. <laughs> yeah, make sure you know the system pretty well. That's fine. Make things modular. Always a good suggestion I, that we make a lot. Spotlight everyone. Good making pregens. Awesome. Also good. Other advice. Index cards. Bring a lot of index cards. Mm -hmm. You never know what you're going to need them for. For They can be name tags. They can be like, oh, well, I need a map real quick or I need something. You have them there. Yeah. You're going to kind of be the table mom. So bring things that people are going to need for the game. Pencils, index cards, markers, Maybe snacks. Dice. Yes, dice. Yes, extra dice, especially if it's a system that doesn't use your typical polyhedral set. Yeah. Having extra D6s, D10s, whatever you're running is going to be huge. Yeah. Definitely plus one to... Either like using the index cards that you or paper that you fold. So it's like a name tag that has both sides. So everyone else can see their name and they can see their name. Um, oh or, yeah, exactly. Or like shirt name tags. Those are also really helpful. Another suggestion make your pregens awesome, but also have extras. Like have an assortment. If you have six people sign up your game, don't just bring six pregens. Try and bring eight. Yeah. And bring a couple extras so that there's a little bit more variety. And so no one feels like they got stuck with the last one. I, yes, agree 100%. And if you have someone who's like, oh, I really want to play in this game, or someone who shows up with a friend, you still have another character that you can give them and, and be like, okay, well, this is a little bit of a big table, but let's do it. Yeah. I'm going to kind of toot Kimmy's horn here. And one thing that I would say is, is good is if you make some sort of interesting thing that goes with your game. So, for example, Kimmy would put all of the stuff in a folders that would have images on them, and you'd sort of, like, guess who they were, and you weren't sure what character you were picking at the time. Or didn't you do ponies one, one game? Yeah. I mean, like, I'm not saying go out and buy a bunch of toys and spend a bunch of time modding them. Although, if you do, it will be super memorable, and people will look for your games again in the future. Mm -hmm. But just a little thing that kind of spices up your game that makes it a little bit different from everybody else's. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something like that. Again, giving the theme of a character on the folder. Best example I can give, my first con was when I got to play Mission Embardable, which was one by Stork and Kadave. And they didn't let you see the character sheets or anything about the character. All it was was a folder, and it had the type of bard it was. And just like, entertainer, schemer, acrobat, and you just had to pick from that. And then you opened the folder and you got to see everything that was in there. So that was actually really fun for people who know the system. So it's a little more mystery and like, you don't know what you're going to get. But it also lets people who don't know the system get a vibe for what they're picking. Even yes. That way they they know what they're getting themselves into. And then you don't get the person who shows up super early and like picks like the most powerful character and like goes through it and the kind of like min-max picks through all of them. It's like, it's, especially if you do a good job of making the characters kind of generic so they can skin them however they want. I generally leave names blank now or I put a couple suggestions with like gender neutral names mm -hmm. so that it's like, Okay, it, like, like to me, like when I'm making a character and in most systems, I know there are systems that are just ridiculous, but whatever, for the most part, like the gender and like of the characters, I don't think it should matter in the mechanics. Right. I know that's not the case with all systems, but it's usually not such a big deal that you can't have. It's something that the player can 
do right there when they sit down at the table. Like, takes 10 minutes to have everyone customize their characters. If you have the basic powers or whatever skills or whatever it is there, then they just kind of can, like, make it their own, tweak it a little bit, and just not take a huge amount of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got one more note for you, the GM specifically, not necessarily for the table. Because the table, yeah, you're going to do what you can to take care of them. But if you're not where you need to be, game's not going to be good. So five-hour energies, get a lot of those on hand. And the the sprayable, the disinfectant, mm. not the aerosol one, but like the spray one. So like, you know, you can clean up your dice if they used them. Just clean up your hands. You're going to be around a lot of people. So four games, that's at least 20 people. Yeah. I love like the little dispensers of the alcohol wipes. Mm. Don't get baby wipes. Everybody gets baby wipes. Baby wipes are not disinfecting. Like, if they had alcohol in them, like, the baby's bottoms would be the sorest poor little things. (laughs) But, like, I ask for, like, disinfecting wipes in my class all the time. You know it really chaps my baby's hide? (laughs) Alcohol. Disinfecting wipes. Yeah, but people bring you disinfecting. They're like, oh, here's disinfecting wipes. I'm like, those are baby wipes. I mean, I bring them home for my baby. Right. And just end up buying, but... Those are not the same thing, everyone. You might as well bring makeup over wipes. Yeah. Like, same thing. Not, same thing. Not helpful. <laughs> but so many people do that. Anyway, so make sure you have them. But they're also really great because you can kind of share them. You can wipe things off with them. You can wipe your hands off with them. A lot of people have an aversion to a lot of the, the gels, either because they have like eczema or something like that. So it causes irritation mm-hmm. or it just is sticky. And some of them don't dry yeah, well. It's kind of gross. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like. I will use it. The hand sanitizer, very important, very necessary. The foam's kind's the best. You can tell I've like worked this. <laughs> Post-pandemic, Kimmy is an expert on these things. But yeah, and the, a lot of the cheaper ones now, don't they don't dry quickly. So like you put it on your hands and it's just like sticky for a very long time. Yeah, it's great. So anyway, that's my uh, suggestion. To piggyback on what Jameson said, I would make sure that you've also got water. You're mm-hmm. hydrated. If at all possible, I don't know how you've signed up for your games, but have a break in between them so that you're not going, you're not running for eight hours. Give yourself time to like go to the beer, go to the bar and get a beer if that's your thing or walk around outside or do something that isn't just right back into the high stress. Yeah. Yep. Very true. Yeah. I'm pretty much brain dead after two games. I'm like, I I can't think anymore. I'm done. So I feel like there's like that low point. And then as a GM, you just like, you just hit that that sort of like middle of the night, totally exhausted genius, like energy <laughs> spike, where like suddenly all the Mountain Dew or whatever, because that's like my caffeine of choice. It's so bad for me. Anyway, like just like hits you and you're just like, Ha-ha, I have all the energy and none of the like. Inhibition. Yeah, and none of the, the logic to keep me from oh, making no. really wild decisions. None of the this common game. sense. Yeah, the common sense has <laughs> gone away. But yeah, I don't know. Lots of good late night memories. <laughs> we used to call that hitting the zone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You hit the zone and suddenly everything is great. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I have to yeah, start thinking about this too because there's cons coming up. Yes, there are. So, all right. Thank you very much, Eric. And please write in and tell us how your con games go. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Sure. We'd love to know. Yep. Mm-hmm. And if our advice was helpful at all. Yeah. Or if it wasn't, yeah, we only hear that too. <laughs> tell us either way. <laughs> All right. Mailbag number two. I can take it. Okay. Okay. Hello, Kimmy and the crew. Back in season 31, episode one, you read an email about problematic powers in games, and I have some additional thoughts. As a refresh, the email writer had some issues with monsters or, or adversaries' abilities that more or less negated PC abilities in the game. The specific example they cited were invisible or flying opponents that hindered the PC's ability to attack them. 
or immunities to or resistance from specific types of attack. I agree with that writer that there are powers in the game that a GM should avoid using, but I think that the examples cited are not the problematic powers. So just for clarifying purposes, the the person who's writing in about GMs who pick powers that for adversaries that negate the abilities of the party, like mm. picking, like building a flying monster when nobody has any ranged attacks and stuff like that. So that it was a little more nuanced than just like, we don't like flying monsters. They're mm-hmm. hard. It's not problematic. It's a problem. Yeah, exactly. You build a team of psionics and they bring a rock monster. Yeah, thing, exactly. So it's something that was like specifically built to not just pick like a weakness of the party, but like something that they can't overcome without like preparation. Okay, continue. Mm-hmm. I've been playing RPGs for long enough that specific examples cited don't bother me in the slightest as either a player or a GM. When adversaries have defensive abilities against the PC's typical attack patterns, that's an opportunity for the player to get creative. For example, a while ago, I ran the Pathfinder adventure Burnt Offerings, which is an adventure for low-level characters. The boss battle in one of the dungeons in a fight against an imp with cleric levels. In Pathfinder 1E, imps can fly, can turn invisible at will, have damage resistance against non-magical weapons, and also have fast healing, i.e. they automatically heal some number of hit points every round. The PCs were only level 3, and I don't believe they had acquired any magical weapons yet. As the GM, I had no specific idea how the PCs were going to kill this imp, and I was very curious to see what they'd come up with. It was a very tough fight, but the PCs were able to use their existing abilities in a creative manner to defeat the monster. One character threw a bunch of sand in the air to try to figure out where the invisible imp might be in general, if not specifically. I let everyone make perception checks to get an idea of where the thing was flying. The wizard couldn't target the imprecisely, so they used area of effect spells. Very nice. The cleric used a spell to make the character's archer's arrows magical, and the archer shot the imp once or twice, and the fighter ended up making an unarmed grappling, unarmed attack, grappling it, and then drowning the demon in the magical pool of water that was also in the room. I like these players. Oh, oh, oh. oh kudos. So, well, right. so while I generally don't have much of an issue throwing curveballs at the PCs in terms of monsters' defensive abilities, there's an entire class of monster attacks that I won't use against PCs pretty much ever. That would be any effect that takes a PC out of the action entirely. As a player, there's little that can happen in a game that's less fun than getting hit with a lose-a-turn effect. Players are here to play, so getting hit with an effect that says, no, you can't play, is just antithetical to the spirit of playing a game together. Taking the player out of the game just means they're going to check out of the game. They'll pull out the phone and just start texting or checking social media. Consequently, I'll very rarely, if ever, throw an effect at a character that will take the player out of the game. It's just no fun for the player to have to sit on the sidelines and not do anything for some number of combat rounds in D&D and similar games. A combat round can take like half an hour. Sitting on your hands not being able to do anything is just plain boring. That means I generally won't throw effects that would put a PC to sleep, paralyze them, instantly turn them to stone, stun them, stick them to the floor, turn them into a toad, force them to run away, or make them unable to see and hear anything. I am fine with PCs using effects against the adversaries, but being on the receiving end of such effects just isn't fun. I have no qualms with taking a PC out of combat scenes as long as they're still able to do something interesting wherever they are. For example, having a PC fall down a pit and have to figure out how to escape and or fight whatever is down there, or getting teleported to another part of the dungeon, or having some kind of scene in a dreamscape where their body is immobilized, 
but taking a PC out of the scene and not letting them do anything is unfair to the player, and consequently is bad GMing. There's one other effect that I also won't use. Any effect that completely takes away player agency, agreed, which mostly means mind control effects. I pretty much always set mind control of PCs as a line during the safety tools. Discussions, losing players agency just isn't fun. What are your thoughts on this? Thanks for all that you do. Sincerely, Mike Fernando, he, him, Ithaca, New York, USA. Woo-hoo. I think that's Ferdinando. Ferdinando? Ferdinando. Yep. Sorry. Ferdinando. I like differentiating between defensive and offensive powers for the adversaries, because I think that does make a big difference. Mm-hmm. And while it can be frustrating to handle defensive powers, I think offensive powers can actually do a lot more. I mean, yes, they can do a lot more damage, sorry. but can actually cross lines more easily. I think that that's a good assessment. I thought this was going to be more about mind control effects because Mm -hmm. I think those are iffy in anybody's hands in a a game. I understand that that's a big trope, but it is kind of creepy whether it is a player doing that to NPCs or whether it's a game master through their NPC doing it to players. Mm -hmm. And I tend to think the latter is worse for a lot of the reasons that were expressed here about removing Mm -hmm. agency and not letting them do things. But the former is also a little bit weird as well, in my opinion. Agreed. I think it kind of depends on the situation and the person playing the character. I mean, if you're going to I go Jedi versus Sith, basically. And like, if you're using it to, you don't see me, or I, there's not the droid you're looking for. Those are pretty passive, not line crossing powers mm-hmm. but again I, I think it depends on the person and i think that's something that the table has to discuss i think that's something that's discussed in lines right. and veils because i've played characters that have had similar abilities to that and i always bring it up like is everybody cool with this where like where are we at with this and as long as you're really open with everybody i think that's going to be the key there because it's the line exactly oh, yeah. absolutely a lot of the times that whenever i run into my hard line is that no player can ever control another player. That's just yeah. never going to happen. Or a character can control another character. That's never going to happen. But it also is a little fuzzy. If you're trying to drive a car remotely when you try and control another NPC. So you may give them a command, but this NPC has to figure out how best to fulfill that command that you've given them. And it may not come out with the result that you want. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be, oh, you said this, I'm going to do exactly that. They're in there fighting you some way. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to muck it up. So, yeah. What I do like in those sorts of situations is when the game master applies an effect, but lets you, the player, determine how you're going to do it. Mm -hmm. So I was playing in a Shadowrun one-shot with Jason, and my wizard got formed a mind link with a hellhound, and then suddenly the hellhound started to gain ascendance. And... He just let me roll with how that was going to work. So I didn't feel like, oh, great, I'll just sit over here while you play my Hellhound wizard now. But I got to stay in the game that way. Or I think that if you hand someone the classic, you hand someone a piece of paper that says, oh, you've been possessed by a demon and now want to kill all of your friends, but Mm -hmm. subtly, and then let them decide exactly what they're going to do, but they still have agency in order to do stuff. That's the key right there is is letting the the players determine what happens to their character. Mm -hmm. Kind of. Not, I guess, offshoot, but in a similar vein is in Monster Hearts, the ability to turn someone on. They go into really good detail in the player, in the game book on that. Like, yeah, you don't have an effect of what may turn your character on. Do you 100% have 
control over your reaction to that happening. Mm-hmm. Whether it's positive, negative, embarrassed, scared, angry, like you you still have that agency. And I think kind of taking mind control effects and things like that in that same vein is going to help a lot to not rule them out completely. Yeah, I think it also, it really does depend on the system because a lot of systems have like choices built in where it's like, okay, you are being mind controlled to want to do this, but you can also take this penalty or this amount of stress or fatigue or whatever to resist it and to not do that. So there's that choice there. And if it's something like completely that just hobbles your whole character, that's not okay. But like usually taking a strain or two is not something that's so like overwhelmingly bad in a system that it kind of gives you that choice. Mm-hmm. I tend to still even be very careful with it. I Like Joey was saying, I feel like there's a little bit of a difference between fooling someone's senses, like, oh, you don't see us right now, and then like actual like mind control. Mm-hmm. So I think fooling someone's senses, like making it so they don't smell or see something or they mistake something for something else, to me seems a lot different than taking them over yeah yeah <laughs> right exactly or or like oh you forget this person who's been like instrumental in your whole life is much different than like oh these are two different droids these two droids that you've never seen before are not the same droids that you saw a wanted poster of there you go <laughs> i don't know i had a, a lot of fun with a, a concept but again the, the players had had bought into it yes where it was the the false hydra i don't know if y'all are familiar with that essentially it is a creature i forgot who who made it, but it's a creature that hides and burrows inside of a town and will eat people. And when it's eating people, you forget that they ever existed. Oh, oh right. I remember when you did that. Yes. And so, like, the players got a letter saying, hey, I'm a good friend of you. You know, I need your help. Come quick. And they're like, I have no idea who this person is. And they got there, and there's pictures of them with the the, the oh, person. I remember, yeah, I remember this now. So, I mean, like, sometimes it can be good, but you kind of got to, you got to let people know what's happening yeah. as you're going. Well, in. but you gave us all agency. It, yes. it, it, it was a mystery and let us solve the mystery. It mm-hmm. wasn't the person that we were trying to stop suddenly doesn't exist in anyone's minds. Mm-hmm. Like, there's and there's a difference there. there. Yeah. Yeah. There's still forward momentum. Right. Yes. Yeah. And, there, and there's sometimes a difference in, like, the length of time. Like, if it's, like, I think messing with, like, love and sexuality and stuff like that in any way is always something to avoid with mind control, for sure. Mm -hmm. But, like, I don't know. I feel like there's, again, you have to have that buy-in. You have to have those safety tools. But, I like, I've been working on, you know, for Starscape, one of the characters, the gifted, has mind powers. And I've been sort of trying to, like, dance that line of, like, okay, there's, like, you can choose precognition and then, like, mind reading, but, like... Like, how much mind reading can you do? You have to have the agency when you want to write it specifically into the rules that you have to have the player's consents. Even if the character, their character doesn't, like, isn't okay with it, you want to make sure that the player is okay with it yeah. and mm-hmm. things like that. Because there can be a difference. Like, if Bob, the ship engineer, doesn't, you know, has a big secret, but the gifted is, like, is going by one day and just happens to get a flash of something by accident of, like, a vision because they were having... I don't know, bad day or headache or whatever it is. If the players are both okay with it, that's fine. Even if Bob, the engineer, is going to be super angry in character. So making sure that you have those lines delineated for the characters and for the players, too, is something that's very important to think about. If we go back to the first part of Mike's email... Oh, yeah, there was... I don't think that there is a problem with having an enemy 
that is immune or resistant to a lot of the player effects. Mm -hmm. I think it's a problem that happens all the time. If I tell you I'm making a storm sorcerer and then every single thing I fight has lightning resistance, well, thanks. You've just made this no fun for me. Mm -hmm. Or if you're playing a group of sword and borders and no one has any flying stuff and everything is flying, that's not cool. But if you have one or two of those encounters, I think that, like he's saying, it gives people a lot of chance to be creative. How can you do this or that? I was reminded by the sand. I played in a, a D&D game a long time ago, and there was a invisible, like a the pseudo dragons, which can turn invisible. And my character threw a plate of couscous up <laughs> where we were to try to track because I also was saying, hey, it's kind of sticky. Maybe it'll stick to to the dragon. Maybe <laughs> we'll to be able you, to the weaponized couscous. Yeah, that's me. Sticky situation. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that it is such a a unique balance for each playgroup. Mm-hmm. You know, some playgroups are going to love coming up with like these weird ass ways to like figure out how to get uh, past this flying thing or invisible thing or whatever it is. And some groups are not going to enjoy it as much. I mean, there are going to be groups that that really struggle to come up with those unique and creative ideas. And that's just what some people are like. Some people think very much in the box and are going to feel slighted. And also it's going to make them feel bad that they can't come up with the way to get around it. Mm-hmm. So as a GM, you have to kind of reflect on like, okay, are, are my players carrying around couscous that they're going to throw? <laughs> are they going to think my of that? Couscous. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Don't tempt me, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Is this a one shot where these people have never played together before and getting them to come up with that kind of like off the wall, this option together and get that teamwork going is going to be really challenging. Or is it a group that plays together all the time that comes up with weird things that work magically all the time because the Mm -hmm. dice always love weird ideas and things like that. I think you have to kind of balance your campaign or balance your combats with that in mind as well. Yeah, and I think kind of the rule of thumb that I would go by is, I'm just going to coin it, the Legend of Zelda rule, where every boss in Legend of Zelda has a mechanic. It's not going to be clear to you right away what the mechanic is, and you're going to see something flying around realizing, oh, I have nothing that's going to do anything to this boss. There's probably something in that room that you can use to deal with that boss. You have to bring it down to you so you can actually attack it, get a new weapon in the room, use something else in the room to attack it. So if you're designing that encounter and you know that your players don't have that in their arsenal, give them something to use. Yeah, you use have the power. power. Like if no one has range, hooray, the there's power. a long, there's a skeleton in the corner with a longbow. Yeah. Oh, you can shoot that rock formation and every time it flies under it, rocks fall in it. It does damage. Like it's... Rocks fall, it dies. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but I also, again, want to point out like we're a little spoiled with our gaming groups. Like I love people (laughs) but not Hmm. all people like everyone has their different strengths and some people don't have the strength of making a square peg fit in a round hole if they no no it goes in the square hole yeah (laughs) oh man (laughs) you get my idea so like you have to be realistic you can't if you have a party that struggles to come up with those solutions don't just keep throwing weird things and expecting them to start coming up with these creative solutions that's not going to be fun for them it's not going to be fun for you is going to be really frustrating. As much as we'd all love to like have that super creative party that comes up with all the things, like that's not something that everybody has. So we just need to make sure that some of the prep is really thinking about what your gaming group is capable of of coming up with 
And they can be incredible gamers, incredible role players, but coming up with weird solutions and MacGyvering shit is just not some people's wheelhouse, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Battle Couscous is a uh, only for the brave. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Mike, for the email. They're always well-written, and we always appreciate them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, I will read mailbag number three. Okay. Hello, happy jackers. Erica Odd here with a report from a con I went to in early November. I was in an Avatar PBTA game. This is part of semi-horror story, part of my views on the game. First things first, I'm actually very interested to read this. Mine just came in the mail yesterday, and I haven't gotten a chance to dive into it, so I'm very excited. The game does have some tacked-on elements over a typical PBTA game, but in my PBTA inexperienced experience, it was integrated well. There's what you typically expect with basic and playbook moves, advanced moves, and so on. But there's also a balance track where your character's actions and choices take you towards or away from opposite aspects of your personality. I was playing a firebender, and my balance was between caution, I think, and destruction. Depending on where you are in that track, you might get certain modifiers to what you're trying. If I were high on the destruction track, I'd get penalties, subtle uses of my firebending, or on dealing with NPCs, and so on. In my opinion, it was kind of cool. Yeah, it's another thing to keep track of, but it worked. There were also Tales from the Loop-style conditions, but it was also worked into how things work. As a hot-headed firebender, I could automatically mark angry and get a bonus on using my powers. I haven't played a lot of PBTA, but overall these tack-on elements worked well and weren't confusing. Now the semi-horror story. The GM was obviously unprepared, which is okay for PBTA, but in this case, I think he was the type of GM who needed to be prepared. (laughs) So he's not prepared, which is okay, except if you're the type of GM who needs to be prepared, which he was, so it wasn't okay. Mm -hmm. He didn't seem to know the adventure or the system very well. Oh, no. Oh, God. And there were often long pauses where he had to look things up. He'd often rule the results on a roll, but ignore what the move would allow you to do. Oh. He also seemed to be a little overprotective of the mystery of the adventure, not giving out information our characters should have been able to discover based on the results of our roles. I kept keeping the mystery going, but when your move says the person you're talking to answers honestly and the GM has them not do so, it's aggravating. As far as the other players go, unfortunately, there were two guys who queued in pretty quickly that the GM wasn't at all prepared and decided to troll him. Oh, uh, fuck those guys, Sadio. They were disruptive, rarely tried to use their moves, and just seemed more interested in messing with the GM and the other players and actually pursuing the adventure. Sadly, this was also a table where a very eager 10-year-old girl who was obviously a big fan oh. of the show. She seemed interested, tried to roleplay, difficult with the GM and the two troll players. I felt bad for her, as this didn't seem like it would be a great, good experience for her. To her credit, she ignored the trolls as much as she could and was following the plot threads well. You go, girl. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was also flattered, being the only other girl at the table, she seemed to follow my lead on a few things. For example, I rolled a bad failure on a fire blast, and as a joke, I said, off in the distance you hear, my cabbages! (laughs) got a laugh. Nice. From then on, if anybody failed a roll, she too would whisper, Cabbages. Oh, sweet. That's so amazing. Despite all these issues, eventually the GM got his footing and the last half of the game went so or so went pretty well. The trolls calmed down, but were difficult players overall. And we won the day. So there's my Avatar PBTA report. I hope you enjoyed it. Signed, Erica Odd. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. My cabbages. My cabbages. Yeah, I feel like. Avatar, as I've looked at it more, there's things I, I that have kind of grown on me since we did our, our play test in my backyard. Yeah. Uh, there at the time, I think it's one of those games that 
like PBTA is one of the games where if you're really good at PBTA, if you've done a lot of it, you feel like you can pick up a system without a lot of prep and run it. Avatar is not one of those games. Right. You have to really take a look at it. You have to treat it a very different system. It's not just a straight up PBTA hack. There's a lot of hats on it. As Clara would say, Clara is like, every PBTA is like Apocalypse World with a hat on it. So this has a lot of hats on it. Yeah. That's a hat on a hat. Yeah, it's like... Fascinators on hats. Yeah, exactly. It's a whole thing going on. But like you can work your way into it. There are design choices that I would not have made, but I didn't design the game and nobody gives a shit. So that's okay. I do. Well, yes. thank you. I'm glad. But I think it, it does work. I really do like the balance. Mm-hmm. idea that part really works really well with like the two like core concepts of your playbook as long as you agree with their interpretation of that character and yes. whether the balance things because there are a couple playbooks where you look at it and you're like i feel it's just missing like it's not quite lined up i don't know how the final game ended up but i was playing an earthbender and i didn't feel like the two poles of my personality were opposite of each other mm-hmm. like or or could be a continuum sort of thing. So that constantly tripped me up in not really understanding. And I didn't get to play with that mechanic on doing those because they weren't really applicable in my mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that's become more clear. And it sounds like you had a great time, Erica. So that's fantastic. Yes. And great job, like being a good role model for a young gamer. Yes. Mm-hmm. And keeping the momentum going, doing your best to kind of pull it together and help the GM as best you can, even with these annoying players. And that's so exciting. I feel like that's one of the things that's awesome about the Avatar game. It just, it brought actually a really, a ton of people into the hobby yeah. mm-hmm. in a way that other games might not because it had such a huge fan base. Yeah, I'm in the, the Magpie Discord and just like, when, especially when they first started the Kickstarter and they got the, all those millions, like so many people were joining and so many people were like, hey, I've never played a to- tabletop role-playing game before. I love Avatar. I backed this thing. How do you do this thing? <laughs> so they actually added like a whole set of channels about how to play tabletop role-playing games. Oh, that's great. So that front yeah. section of the book actually is going to help some people. Yeah, yeah. exactly. exactly. <laughs> it's actually going to be read for once. Right. <laughs> it's like, okay, it actually that. starts on page five. Okay, yeah. let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what a role-playing yeah. game is. Yeah. I haven't gotten a chance to break into the books like I just read yesterday, but reading the quick start rules on Kickstarter... I love all the little finicky things. I love PBTA, but sometimes it is a little simple. And especially when you have a really, really good group of players, <clears throat> this table, oh. a lot of times you'll play PBTA and you'll go in the entire session and maybe do one die roll. <laughs> you just rip off each other and realize you're not engaged with the mechanics. But I think what? that... We're doing drunk improv? The what? <laughs> It has uh, been a problem with trying to do play, play, play test Starscape for you. I know. <laughs> we have like all these amazing scenes and then I'm suddenly like, oh God, we haven't used any mechanics in like 45 minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Somebody do this. You have to. I know it doesn't make sense right now, but right. we have to roll some. Suddenly stuff. someone shoots a gun. Yeah. <laughs> Combat, go. go. But Isn't they, that Raymond Chandler? If you don't know what to do, have someone bust him with a gun. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but yeah, I think the mechanics are really engaging in Avatar from what I've seen so far. So I'm yeah. excited to really dive in to see what they look like fully formed and fully fleshed out. Yeah. As opposed to things like, maybe I'm in the minority on this, I did not care for Urban Shadows at all. At all! There's so many moves and different stages that don't make any sense. You don't do them enough to know them, so you have to break out the rules every time you do. This is not the Urban Shadows hate podcast. 
No, no, it's okay. I hate GURPS. You can hate Urban Shadows. Okay, Everyone, okay. Everyone's going to have their little niche well, about what they hate. Yeah. Well, and, and for those who might not know, the connection there is that Magpie Studios made Urban Shadows and the Avatar game. So yeah. I love the first edition of Urban Shadows. The sec, the newer edition, I feel like that's such a good thing. And they were like, let's fix this by making it like much more complicated. So much more complicated mm. than it needs to be. Yeah. They want Shadowrun with it. Okay. Yeah. Kind of. Kind mm. of? Anyway. But I feel like they kind of found that sweet spot with this, where they have some of the ideas of Urban Shadows, where mm-hmm. there are different tracks and different things that you're keeping an eye on aside from your main moves, but it's not, okay, we're done with this session, now let's go to the bookkeeping phase. Yeah. And now we're going to do this and figure out what's happening in the world. Like, mm-hmm. that's the GM's job. Mm-hmm. Like, let's, Ideally. let's not help the GM with their homework at the table, unless this game you want to play, and, yeah, I mean. and that's fun too, if that's what you're going in for. Uh, okay, with people doing my homework for me. <laughs> so I, I have a question. So much you designed a whole game about that. <laughs> <laughs> I became a teacher, so everyone would have to do homework for me. <laughs> I kind of have a question going off of what the story here. Mm-hmm. So if you are playing with a GM at a, at a con, obviously it's not your home game, and they're ignoring blatant mechanics in the game, how would you all go about handling that? Like, is it one of those like? Do you sit down and have a convo, or do you just kind of whatever it? I kind I think I would kind of whatever it to a point. Like it, yeah. It depends on how much energy I want to put into this conversation. Like mm-hmm. if it's a quick, can we check that because I like, if I know for sure, like if I'm confident, like and it's going to affect the rest of the game. Like maybe I might say, like, can we just double check that because I think maybe I'm still misreading it wrong or I'm not understanding. Mm-hmm. But if it's a thing that's been corrected multiple times, like. All right, that's just how this works in this yeah. game, and I'm gonna do some. I will find another move to use, or I don't know, talk my way out of this. Uh, sorry, I was laughing because it's still not a monk weapon. Oh, gee, like cricket. <laughs> that's a so inside inside joke. That's a way inside baseball. And I'm not going to explain it. So <laughs> sorry. If the one other person who knows <laughs> is listening, I apologize. Yeah, I feel like. It's hard. You have to tell, like, if the GM seems confident and cool, then sure. Mm -hmm. If they're nervous or if they're, like, if they seem like they're worried about screwing things up, then I'll probably just let it slide because I've been there and I don't want to do that. The other thing is if I'm being treated like, oh, you're a girl who plays role-playing games, Mm -hmm. then I will fucking call every single thing (laughs) that they do wrong. Mm -hmm. Drag them up. Yes, I will just be like, I'm sorry, Tally Mark. You did this wrong. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, (laughs) Tally Mark. So she don't brought be her a own dick. chalkboard. Yeah. Katie Porter yeah, yeah. energy. <laughs> Whiteboard energy. I have it. Uh, so did you mean like someone keeps getting a rule wrong or they keep trying to interpret it something on their own? Because I was I thought you were talking about if someone is disruptive. Like in this example, we had a couple of trolls who weren't really taking the game seriously. And in a con game. How do you address that? Because you've got, you only have a limited amount of time. You don't know these people well enough to really pull them aside and say, hey, can you cut it out? But at the same time, you don't want to ruin the experience for everyone else, especially Mm. if this might be their first time gaming, if they're very young, or their first time playing this system and you want them to have a good time, which for me, again, sorry about the GURPS, was one of the things that happened to me is that I had a horrible experience the first time I played. Yeah which made me kind of associate that with the rest of the game. Yeah, I think having that, we all have that lasting experience with Mm -hmm. gaming, whether it's jamming or playing or both, or like we have all these things that kind of 
stay with us because that's how humans work, so shockingly. So I think, like, finding out, hey, is this a first-time GMing? Is this your first-time GMing this system? Because that's going to make a big difference there, too. And then just your your particular vibe with them, I think. Like, if they seem like, oh, hey, we're getting along really well. And if they seem to notice, like, you know a lot about the system, and like, hey, so this, yeah? Mm -hmm. And then I kind of do that with Kai in my One Ring game. Because I'll, like, spat out some, like, Tolkien lore, and I'll be like, except I'm not sure about this, I think. And then, like, they'll, like, confirm or deny. Like, no, 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 no. Okay. And so I I think, I don't know. I feel you, uh, Nick, on the the impression. Like, that stays with you. Like, your GURPS experience stayed with you. Right. It shaped how I see the game. The whole thing, yeah. And so you don't necessarily want to do that to someone who's trying something out. It's really scary to GM at a con. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I try. Well, I haven't done it. Same. Well, (laughs) I was forged in the fire. <laughs> I know where my strings lie. Yes. It is not in that chair. <laughs> yeah. So having, I mean, just empathy. And so there's some people who it's like, oh, no, I think it's like this. Oh, okay, cool. That's how it is, everyone. And they'll just keep going. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Or sometimes just making a decision on the fly and not looking it up, but just keeping the game running. And if you played it wrong, well, you played it wrong. It's not like the RPG police are going to come arrest you because you broke a law. Nick, they can hear you. <laughs> Are they having fun? That's all you need. Yeah. yeah. And if when it comes to like those troll players that were just harassing the GM, if you're feeling brave as another player, you can try and engage them. Be like, maybe make it into an RP moment. Not that you're, you're harassing them, but like, oh, what do you think this clue over here means? So-and-so. Mm-hmm. And try and bring them in. Yeah. Invest them into the story. Or the extreme end of that, like if it gets to the point where it's just, it's not happening. Punch them in the throat. Yeah. Yeah. Or more socially do that. More the GM can shine at the spotlight. The GM can take it the way the spotlight. Mm-hmm. It's true. Maybe make them bored so that they just leave on their own. <laughs> or just focus. Okay, now the story's about these two characters and these two Jamokes are apparently long for the ride and they're going to Rodenkrantz give them serve themselves. <laughs> No, because because that's actually good. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually good. that's Fine. a good move. They'll exit pursued by a bear. All right, fair enough. I do want to say, in some cases, it's great to have people who know the system. It wasn't in real time, but I want to say, Erica Odd, we all appreciated that during the Rifts game when you'd be like, "Actually, yeah. we did not. We were not offended by that in any way. We yeah. loved it." Getting that feedback, and I know that I've played in Savage Worlds games where the game master started leaning heavily on me because I was like. Oh, I think it does this. I think that's because I didn't want to step on anyone's feet and be like, no, that this is the rule, but just give them a couple of helpful nudges yeah. uh, about things. I'm sitting right here. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so much of it is in like the intent and how you give them the notes or mm-hmm. whatever the theater in me is coming out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, and I'm mm-hmm. like, the notes from, but you know, it's like if you're just like, hey, loving the game, this is cool. Here's this is how this is supposed to work, though. Like, I'm getting a bunch of that for wondering, and I'm totally appreciative of it. People who mean well, they like what you're doing, they want to help. Mm-hmm. So having the attitude of, like, hey, G- I'm loving this game right now. When you say this, I think it's supposed to be this. Like, and just, like, that is such a big difference between, so, I know maybe you don't know <laughs> this, but... Mm. Actually, on page 14, you'll see that there yeah. should be a plus two bonus for that action and not a plus one bonus. Yeah. And also in the last turn, there's no way they would have had enough actions to do all of those three things. So technically, they should have applied a multi-attack penalty on those items. And I just wanted to make sure you knew that. Where did I go just now? (laughs) 
What? Where are we? The chat saying, Nick saying all this, like he doesn't have like the encyclopedian mind of rules of all the things. <laughs> I have them fooled. <laughs> I mean, you're so good at the rules. Okay. All right. Yeah. I was just going to say, minutia that doesn't matter that I could keep in my head instead of like oh, names. Yes. Yeah, you bet. Oh, names. <laughs> the bane of my existence. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for joining us for season 31, episode 11 of the Happy Jacks RPG podcast. Please visit gemroomgames.com to support our amazing indie designers of the month, Gemroom Games. Thank you to our chat mod, James V, and to our amazing Patreons who keep us ad-free and independent. If you'd like to join their amazing ranks, you can go to happyjacks.org slash Patreon. Do not forget, please go to happyjacks.org slash newsletter and give us your email address so that we can contact you if we have ever important news. Again, I am way too busy to spam you very often. Like, we'll be lucky four times a year or less, unless, except in cases of emergency. So please go give us your email address so we can contact you in case, you know, Twitter or Facebook or whoever billionaire owns the thing today decides to go off the rails. My name is Kimmy. I'm Joey. I'm Jameson. I'm Nick. And today we're going to leave you with a song called Jenny of the Old Stones, which is from Game of Thrones and stuff, but it's sung by a group called the Mary Sues. Who are Ooh. they? Okay, yeah. so who's the Mary Sues? So they're a trio of nerds, one of whom is me. <laughs> who sing nerdy songs and covers of songs. And you can find them at marysuesband.com. And thank you all so much. And we will see you next week. All right. Bye. I in the halls of the kings who are gone. Jenny would dance with her ghosts. The one she had lost and the one she had found. And the ones who had loved her the most The ones who'd been gone for so very long She couldn't remember their names They spun her around on the damp old stones Spun away from all sorrow and pain And she never wanted to is a product of the Happy Jacks RPG Network. The Mary Sues performed our intro music, and our ending song is played with the express permission of the artist. Visit happyjacks.org for more information and to find all our streams and podcasts. Mm-hmm.